Morning, how's everybody doing? Men, from the men's retreat, manned up, stepped up, and are here this morning. Came back a little bit late last night, but we're good. Before I get started, I wanted to acknowledge a special day for someone in our congregation, and I will not say which special day. It is a birthday, I won't say which number, but it's Sandy Brown's birthday. And so... If you have an opportunity to wish Sandy a happy birthday, do, do that today. Uh, what? No, we will not do that. If Chad was still here, I would uh, defer to him, but no. Okay. Uh, some of you heard this story, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it again because I think it fits well with what we're going to go into today. I've told of a, a young lady named Odd who Christine and I, she was our language instructor when we were missionaries in Thailand, and she was not a believer, and one of the goals of us, us uh, anxious missionaries is to share the gospel as soon as we can when we come into another culture, and so... Language teacher, obvious choice. She knows a little bit of English, and she's teaching us Thai, and we're going back and forth, and, and part of our study, both Christine and I, is to, is to share about Christ with her. And Odd was receptive, unique in many ways to a lot of Thai people, receptive to the gospel. But, but she, over, over days and days and weeks and weeks and even months, there was something going on, something holding her back. And one, one day I said to her, I said, Odd, there's a, a battle going on inside of you. There's a battle. There's, there's the world and, and, and forces of the enemy seeking to keep you from accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But God, he's wanting you to, to come to him. And there's a battle raging. And, and she left that day. And the next day she came, she came every day to our house. And she said, she said, the the battle's over. It was the first thing she said to us when she came into the house. And I said, well, well, who won? And she said, you did. And I said, no, not me. But, but God won the battle. And she gave her life to Jesus Christ. There were these tugging forces in her life. And she made the choice to follow Jesus Christ. And to this day, she's following Jesus Christ. And you know what? In Odd's life, and we know this to be true in our lives... That battle continues, doesn't it? That, that raging battle within our lives and our hearts. Who are we going to follow today? Who are we going to serve today? And, and that's one of the themes in the book of James. It comes out really clear. It came out last week as we studied the book of James. There are different voices that are going on within our head. We pictured that with the, the angel and the the devil on the shoulders last week. There are options to choose from. There are, there are roads to take, paths to take. And on any given day, at any given moment, the question is, which road will you choose to follow? And for us, it seems like there's lots of different options. But for James, it really, it really comes down to two. Remember last week, chapter 3, he voiced those in terms of, of wisdom. We'll either choose to follow the wisdom that is from above, heavenly wisdom, wisdom from, from God himself, or we'll choose to follow worldly wisdom that James says is earthly, it's unspiritual, in fact, it's demonic. We choose one path or the other, one voice 
or the other to listen to. This week in chapter 4, we're in chapter 4, verses 1 to 10 this week, James continues with that, that same theme. But he describes these two roads, these two choices, these two options in terms of who we choose to make friends with. Who we choose to make friends with. We choose our friends. And we know that in, in this life, you know, who we choose to have friends with can have a major impact in our life. In high school, I didn't have the greatest friends, and my path can demonstrate that. When I went to college, I made a choice. Okay, now I'm going to put away, men childish things, and I'm going to, one of the things I did is I chose some different friends, some friends that I knew served and loved the Lord, and that had a, a huge impact in my life. My years in college were, were uh, really molded by many of the friends that God brought into my life, and, and I, and I hold, held on to. But James spells this out for us in chapter 4, the importance of, of friends. And we're not, today we're not going to be talking about those, those earthly friends that are important, but we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. In verse 4 of chapter 4 in the book of James, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Here are the options. Here are the roads to choose from. Road one, which is clearly stated, you can be a friend of the world and an enemy of God. That's an option. Or road two, which is implied, you can be a friend of God and an enemy of the world. We have a choice to make. There are really no other options. There, there's no other, we can't blaze a trail in between. We can't walk the fence. We have to choose friendship with the world or friendship with the Lord. And James wants to help us make that right choice, to give us the necessary information, the information we need so that we choose wisely. And more than that, just to to show us what we need to do when we choose friendship with God. But he begins with what it means to be friends with the world. Our first point this, this morning, friendship with the world. Again, James like he does, as we've studied, he, he begins with a question. But this time he also provides the answer. He says, what causes quarrels and, and what causes fights among you? This is James chapter 4, verse 1. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your passions are at war within you. Quarrels and fights, doing physical and, and verbal violence to one another, happens when our passions are at war within us. This is a description of the battle that's going on within every believer. Just so we know, James is writing to believers. A battle that rages in your heart and in your mind. A war over your passions. Your passions. The Greek word for passions is, is hedon. That's where we get the English word hedonism. Hedonism. It speaks of of what you enjoy. It speaks of what gives you pleasure. And there's a war going on within each of us. A war involving our passions. A war involving our pleasures. And even though, let me me point this out. Even though we think of that word hedonism as, as negative, right? 
Because we think of it in terms of our earthly passions and our earthly pleasures. It really doesn't have that total connotation. It's just, where do you find your enjoyment? Where and with whom will you seek to fulfill your desires, our pleasures, our passions? Ultimately, where will we seek our enjoyment in life? Where will we seek to find our, put simply, our joy? Where do you go to look for your joy? James puts it in terms of friendship. Who will you choose to be friends with? We can choose to be friends with the world. We can follow the world's wisdom. We can seek to fulfill our passions and our desires, our hopes and our joys, in the manner prescribed by this world, by our own flesh, by Satan himself. And the result, as we saw last week, This is really that worldly wisdom we talked about last week. That result is self-centered ambition. It's bitter jealousy. James adds, this week it leads to quarrels and fights and worse. James continues to describe what happens when we follow the world's wisdom, when we befriend the world, when we allow our passions to be controlled by the ways of the world. James 4, verse 2. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet but you cannot have what you want, you quarrel and fight. You know, we all want something. James recognizes, you want something. What do we want? We want want what we want. We want to have our our passions and our desires, whatever those are. We want to be fulfilled. We want to have joy. We want what we want. And you know, that's not necessarily wrong. It's not wrong. The problem is, the problem is, when you try to get what you want the way the world prescribes, James says, you can't have it. You can't have what you want. You get nothing. Nothing this world offers will fulfill your true passions. Yes, sin is pleasurable for a season, Scripture says, but it will not last. It's like, it's like running water. You can't grasp hold of it. It just falls through your fingers and it leaves you empty. And worse than empty, it really takes away. It takes away. It leaves you emptier than when you started. Nothing this world has to offer will bring you true joy, true happiness. I believe God's created you to want joy, to want to be happy. But he knows he's the only way you can be truly filled with joy and happiness. But we, like sheep who've gone astray, we follow the world's advice. And we go for it anyway, and and the results are seen all around us. And these results can be devastating. Because when you put people who desire selfish gain and earthly pleasures together, there's a problem. We want what somebody else wants. We're full of bitter jealousy. We're all about me. We're not about him we're about, or, or about we. And, and the results are fights and quarrels, covetousness, envy. And James says murder. Now whether James is talking about actual murder or not, I'm, I'm not sure. He's speaking to believers and I, I don't necessarily think they were going around killing one another. But as we've seen in our study of the book of James, James is very familiar with the teachings of Christ. Very familiar especially with the Sermon on the Mount. He knew that Jesus had taught unholy anger, hatred, 
between brothers is the same as murder. James is trying to help us see just how serious it is when we choose to be friends with the world. When we seek to fulfill our passions, our desires, our hopes, and our joys the way the world wants us to, it affects our relationships with one another. This is seen in all of our relationships, but for me it really comes out in, in, in marriage. When you put two naturally selfish sinners together for life, the result is not 100% peace and harmony, harmony every moment of every day. Every fight and quarrel that Christina and I have can be traced to one or both of us seeking to fulfill our own selfish desires. Now, Christina, like Mary Poppins, is practically perfect in every way. And she can dance as well, as we've already heard. But, but I'm not. I can't dance either, that's true. Thanks, Sue. And when I want something, I tend to get blinders on. All I see is my own needs, my own wants, my own desires. Recently, my wife asked me, she said, you know, since you only worked one day a week, she didn't actually say that. Could you help out a little more? There are a few things around the house that I would like to do. We have this dog. Why do do people have dogs? That's just stupid. We have this dog, and he should be outside all the time, but somehow he finds his way in the house, and he sheds all. Can you just vacuum the house a, a few times more a week? And my first, my worldly reaction was was selfishness. If I help around the house more, that means I I get to do what I want to do less. That's taking away from my time, my free time. So I began to list off all the stuff I do. I need to, I do this and that. And she began to list off the stuff, well, I do this and school and kids. And she began to list that off. And it it didn't, didn't, it turned a little ugly, this, this, discussion. We eventually worked it out, and yes, I'm vacuuming the house more, as, as, you can, as you can imagine. But my point is this. Good answer. I realize that was in my best interests, actually. My point is this. Selfishness, the way the world's doing things, leads to these fights and the quarrels. When we covet and fight and hate, it's because we're not getting what we want. And remember, what we want is to have our passions, our pleasures, our, our desires and joys fulfilled. And why aren't they being fulfilled? Why aren't, they, why aren't we getting what we want? James answers that question. It's, it's really amazing. Verse 2 and 3. The end of verse 2 and, and into 3. You do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Same word as passions. You're not getting what you want, your desires, your passions, your joy, your fulfillment, for two reasons. First, you don't ask God. Now we're getting to the point. To the, we're getting to the heart of the, the matter here. Where can your passions truly be fulfilled? Where can you find this true pleasure, this true joy, this true happiness? You can only find it 
in God. Only when you are friends with God. But you're not asking Him. You're not going to Him to have your passions fulfilled. You're not going to Him to receive your joy. And brothers and sisters, friends, this is our major mistake as Christians. Right here. This is it. Remember it. Not taking your desires to your God. And unfortunately, we make this mistake all the time. We come to God for our salvation. We thank Him, God, thank you that I'm not going to hell anymore. But then you go to the world for everything else. You go to the world for your joy and your pleasures, to have your desires fulfilled, and it's just silly. And we keep doing it. You know, God knows you and I better than he know, than you know yourself. God loves you more than you love yourself. And he wants what's best for you. But if we don't ask him, if we don't believe that he can truly meet our needs and, yes, fulfill our desires, if we don't believe he's the best possible friend we can have, we get nothing. So first, you don't get because you don't ask Him. You don't come to Him. And second, even when you do ask, when you do go, you go with wrong motives. This is really interesting. James describes people who want something that satisfies their passions, their hopes, their desires, their joy. And they're even smart enough, they even have a little bit of wisdom to know the place to go and to ask for that is from God. But they come to God with what James calls wrong motives. There, our motives are to get something from God. Something we can spend on our own earthly pleasures. We're not coming to God to receive joy from Him. We're coming to God asking Him to give us something else. I think Chad said it well this morning. We come to God and we... We're asking Him for for more money. We're asking Him for a a relationship that we think will fulfill us. We're asking Him for a a job that we think we need to go to. We're asking Him for for more power, more fame. We're asking Him to increase this ability in us so, so we can be fulfilled. Whatever it is. Why are we asking? So we can spend it on our earthly pleasures. We treat God not as our Creator... Not as our Savior, not as our Lord, the one who knows us best, knows what's best for us, created us, knows how to truly fulfill our needs. We treat God as our our heavenly genie. He's only there to hear what we want. John Piper explains it this way, we're coming to God not because He satisfies but only to ask Him for the means to get something else, and then leaving God behind to go get satisfied with these other things. And because of that, James calls it like he sees it. He's going to get harsh here. He says to both those who don't come to God, but especially those who come only to get something from Him and move on, he says to them, To us, if it applies, you adulterous people. You adulterous people. You know that we're the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. 
You and I have a great and loving husband. Jesus Christ, God the Son. But we're in love with another man or another thing. We don't find God satisfying. So we go, believe it or not, to our husband, our God. We go to him, and, and this is prayer, and we ask him for something else to satisfy us besides him. When we pursue our pleasures and the, the stuff of this world, when we make it our goal to, to have more things and better things and bigger houses and, and better cars and nicer clothes, when we give in to sexual immorality and impurity, whatever it might be, when we forsake God for the pleasures of this world, we're in fact cheating on Him. The same way you would you're married, you would cheat on your husband or your wife. We're cheating on the God of the universe. We're an adulterous people. James continues, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world, to embrace the world, to seek their pleasures from the world is an enemy of God. So we're back to the heart of the matter, this, this battle that rages within us. Who will we choose as our friend? Where will we seek our pleasure, our joy, our fulfillment, our passions? Will we seek them in the world or will we seek them in God? Which friend will we choose? The picture, just so we understand friendship here, that James gives is one of intimacy. It's not a casual acquaintance. It's a best, a best buddy, a pal. It's intimacy. There's a friendship, an intimacy with the world and an intimacy with God. And James says, you have to choose. You can't be friends with both. They're mutually exclusive. But the choice is yours. Will you be a friend of the world? Will you follow the wisdom of the world? Will you try to fulfill your passions with the things of the world? James says, this leads to fights and quarrels and covetousness and hatred and murder and will ultimately get you nothing you choose friendship with the world, you'll always be disappointed. And we know that to be true, don't we? We just know how disappointing the world is. We are never satisfied. I have a 55-inch TV in my house, and I want an 80-inch TV. What an idiot. Really? What, what, what is that about? It is plenty, of, you know, I, anyway. We are just never satisfied. with. The, there is no satisfaction in the things of this world. We know this to be true, but we keep returning to the world. We keep going there. But there's another road to travel. Let me, let me give you the other option. There's some, something else you can choose from, and that's friendship with God. This is amazing. God offers to be your friend. Now, he's also your Lord and your master. You have to obey him. It's not the same as a, a buddy-buddy. But he offers that intimacy of, of friendship, closeness. He offers a relationship, a true fulfillment. And he offers within that, and we need to understand this, he offers to renew your passions. We've been talking about this, this hedon, this hedonism. He, he offers to change that. 
to renew it, to make it different. Not only, not your surface fleshly passions, but your passions of your soul and your spirit. The things that go deep down in you. The things He created in with you. The, fa- the passions that He sparks to life when you come into relationship with Him. Passions for purpose and fulfillment and true happiness and joy. A passion for Him. Passions that lead us to love and to serve God and man. Passions that that want others to know the same friendship. I have such a a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm passionate that others share that relationship with Him. Not so I can put a notch in my belt, but so they can enjoy the Lord, their Creator. Now James, in verse 5-10, through gives us insight into what it means to be a friend of God. He begins with two reasons. Two, two reasons to choose friendship with God over friendship with the world. And they're, they're, not, they're not quite clear. We, they take a little bit of understanding. The first is, is God is jealous for your good. God is jealous for your good. It may not even sound quite right to you, but listen to verse, verse 5 of James chapter 4. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, is he saying the, the Scripture says, and there's a purpose for what the Scripture says, he, God, yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us. What does that mean? This verse is speaking of God's divine jealousy. Divine jealousy. God created humanity with a, a spirit. And he deeply desires that our spirits be unified with him. That we come into relationship with him. A spiritual relationship with the God of the universe. And think about the context here. He just called those who seek their pleasures to seek their desires, seek their fulfillment in something other than him. He called them adulterous. When we seek our pleasures in other things, we unite our spirits with those things. We invest in those things. Those things become a part of us. And James says, do you not know that God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? It's his spirit he's he's put in us. It's part of him. It's his this is the image of God that, that remains within us. This is the picture that God has used of his affections for his people, this jealousy all throughout the Old Testament. One example in Exodus 34, 14. You shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. What does it mean that God is jealous for us? You know, it's similar to the jealousy if, if you're a husband and I've never been a wife, but probably for a wife. So I'm going to go with the husband. Similar to the jealousy that that a good husband has for his wife. I'm jealous for Christina's love. And anyone or anything that attempts to come between to steal that love and affection that she has for me will meet great opposition. I promise. In the same way. In the same way. No. Let me say this, in a greater way, the God of the universe is jealous for our love. Anything that threatens to steal it from your life, anything in this world that seeks to come between the love of God and and His bride will be met with divine force. And just so we're clear, 
Because we often think of jealousy as associated with insecurity and, and fear. It's not the thing. That's not the thing with God. God's jealousy is not in, insecure. It's not afraid we're going to go out and find something better in this world. God's jealousy is infinitely good. Because God knows that everything that is in him is more satisfying than anything this world has to offer. And he so desires your good, he so desires your satisfaction, your joy, your fulfillment, that he calls you into friendship. Friendship with him. And you know what else he does? He gives a lot of tough commands. Commands that we might say, whoa, that's really hard. Commands to abandon possessions and things and pursuits in this world because he knows and he wants us to know that the infinite pleasure, the joy that we seek in this life can only be found in him. Think of the, think of the story in Scripture of that rich young ruler that came to Jesus. and Really, Jesus said, Scripture says Jesus loved him. This guy's seeking, how do I, how do I get into heaven? How, how am I saved? And what did Jesus say to him? That sell everything and follow me. Sell everything and follow me. Now, why did he tell him to sell everything? Because that was what was holding him back. That was what it was holding him back from, from following Christ. And Jesus knew the best possible thing for this guy and his life and his joy and his fulfillment would be to follow Christ. And that stuff was holding him back. He gave him a hard commandment and he wa- the guy walked away. The guy was offered intimacy, fellowship with Jesus Christ, and he walked away. So why choose friendship with God over friendship with the world. First, because God is jealous for your good. He wants what's best for you. He knows what's best for you. And only he can provide what's best for you. And second, because God gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives us grace. Isn't that amazing? God gives us what we don't deserve, what we haven't earned, what we could never earn, what we have no ability to earn. He gives us salvation, and he gives us relationship. He gives us friendship. He gives us intimacy with him. He fulfills our desires and our dreams and our purposes within himself. And he says, it says, this is amazing, he gives more grace, as if grace isn't enough. I love this. When you wake up tomorrow, you know what he's going to do? He's going to give you more grace. All week, every moment this week, he's going to give you more grace. And next week, next month, more and more and more grace. He doesn't stop. He continues to give you grace because you know what? We need his grace to survive, to overcome His grace is poured out upon us. He gives grace to the humble. That's our part, humility, before our Lord. The God of the universe, who calls the, the stars 
by name. The God whom mountains bow down to and oceans obey. That God is jealous for your good. And He's committed to pouring out grace. And you need grace and I need grace on a daily basis. And all we need to do is humble ourselves before we need to come to Him and ask for grace. God, give me grace to get through this. We think about our sister Tony. She needs grace right now, doesn't she? And God is going to be there for her to give her grace. So why would, why would we consider friendship with the world as an option? Why would we forsake intimacy with such a God as this? We have to know that God offers so much more than this world. There's another way to live. And it's not earthly pleasure. It's for godly pleasure, godly joy. It's motivated by, by longing for eternal satisfaction. It's that spark when you come to Christ that He wakens in you. It's seeking to be fulfilled and can only be fulfilled in Him. This kind of satisfaction and joy that you so desperately want, so desperately need and desire can only come from God. You long for that kind of friendship with God, that kind of intimacy with the Lord. If so, you just need to stay focused for a minute or two more. This is where the, the rubber hits the road for James, and he's, he's going to bring it to us. James now gives us seven commands. Seven commands that, that if obeyed will lead to this intimacy and joy with God. Because of time, we're only going to look at the first six this week. We'll save the seventh for next week and move on from there. James says if you want to grow in friendship, in intimacy with God, and, and, and just so you know, this is key. As I read through this, I go, this is amazing. This is amazing. These are the things we need to do to maintain that intimacy, that relationship with God. Key, it's key, they're key to overcoming the sin in your life. It's key for, from, to keep you from stepping into friendship with the world. Listen to what James says. Number one, submit to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. This is first and foremost. This is, this is the, 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 the foundation that holds it all together. We must submit ourselves completely to God. We can't walk the fence. We can't have one foot in the world and one foot in God's kingdom. He requires, and He's right to require because He's God and He's your Creator, you to submit everything completely and totally to Him. You can't hold back. The word submit means to be in subjection to, and this is hard for us, and this is why the last thing the sixth one we're going to look at today, and he's already referred to it already, is humility. This takes To submit takes humility. That word submit means to put in subjection to. This is the picture. We're on our knees before a mighty and holy God. And no matter what he calls us to do, maybe it's sell all your possessions, I don't know. No matter what he calls you to do, If you want intimacy, friendship with God, then you have to place yourself in subjection to Him. No matter what He calls you to do, you obey. You trust and obey. You trust 
that this is the best possible thing for me, and then you obey. Everything is under subjection. Everything is given to him. Your wife, your children, your job, your home. It all comes under the authority of God. You must seek first the kingdom of God. Seek your satisfaction and joy and delight in Him. Trusting that that He's a jealous God. He's jealous for your good. And He'll give you the grace to live the life He calls you to live. But you have to submit to Him. Then in His power, He says, resist the devil. Resist the devil and a promise, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil in the power of the Holy Spirit that God gives to those who submit to him. You know, the devil is a representative of the world. The scripture says he's the, the, the prince of this earth. You can't be friends with God and friends with the devil. You can't be friends with God and friends with the world. Not possible. You must stop resisting God and start resisting Satan. You realize now that we switch that around all the time. Especially when we hear the tough commands. Commands that go against our grain. Commands that don't quite fit in with our culture. We resist God and we embrace the devil who loves to compromise. Who loves to whisper into our ear lies. When we're tempted to go on that internet site, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. It's a, it's a promise. When we're tempted to look, when we're tempted to, to speak, when we're tempted to act, to spin, to do whatever, when we're tempted to selfish anger, to worry, whatever sin is in your life, resist the devil. He will flee. Resist the devil in the power of the God that you're submitting to. And he will flee. And then, or at the same time, draw near to God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Oh, that we would understand the power in this command and promise. You know, this is the heart of intimacy with God. Draw near to him. Spend time with him. Read, study, meditate on, memorize, and apply his glorious word. Take an extended time. Take a vacation day or two and be with the Lord. One of our elders, Tom Allen, just had the opportunity to spend, spend a week with the Lord. I'm really looking forward to, to hearing about that time. Know who he is. Know what he desires of you. Know his, his great and abiding love for you. Know how much He gave for you in Christ Jesus. Go to Him not once, not twice, not three times a day. Pray without ceasing, Paul writes. Always be mindful of God's presence in your life. He's always there. It's not not as if we come in and out of His presence. He is always with us constantly. Acknowledge that and continue to draw close to Him, whether you're at work or at home whether you're on your knees or or just walking down the street, continue to draw close to Him. And if, if you do, He promises to draw near to you. God doesn't invade. He's invited in. He'll come closer and closer as we invite Him. He'll come in and it says in Revelation 3.20, He'll, he'll sup with you. Be 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears the, the knocking and opens the door, I'll come in and have fellowship with you, intimacy. You, as a friend of God, can experience true fellowship with him. Like Moses did in the Old Testament, he will reveal his, his glory to you. You'll see him for who he is. And he'll provide you with grace and power you need to live the, the Christian life, to do what he calls you to do. As you draw near to him and he draws near to, to you, then you can, our, our fourth command, purify yourself. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Well, thanks, James. I appreciate that. This is in the context of a relationship, of, of friendship, of intimacy with God. We have no power to purify ourselves. But when God is our friend, He supplies all the power in Christ Jesus to be pure before Him. This purity is both external and internal. Listen, wash your hands, your lives, and wash your hearts, your thoughts, your mind, your desires, your motives. Inside out, be pure through the provided power of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can avoid the temptations and sin of this world. You can overcome friendship with the world and the damage it brings. You can live a life that's characterized by holiness, by purity before God. Purify yourself. And when you, and when you do sin, this isn't, this isn't a call to uh, sinless perfection. We, we can't reach that because we're tied to this earth and we're tied to this flesh but continue to purify yourself. And one of the ways you do that is when you do sin. Be quick to repent. Be quick to repent. You know, oftentimes, this is, this is Satan's tactic. You've sinned, you've, you've done wrong, and, and you're ashamed, and you feel like God is rejecting you. God can't love you. God can't forgive you. And, and that drives you away from Him. That drives a wedge in that friendship that you've created. That he, excuse me, that he's created. That's not what God wants. God wants you, when you sin, when you fail, to be quick to repent, quick to come to him, run to him, ask for forgiveness, ask him to help you to overcome in the future again and again. And every time you fall, be quick to return to him. Receive the purity that comes from Jesus Christ. And then, as part of this picture, Mourn over your sin. Mourn over your sin. Verse 9, be, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. There are consequences to your sin. It damages you. It damages the people around you. And you need to mourn and weep over your wretched sinfulness. We've totally, I think, as a culture, lost sight of what it means to grieve, to mourn, to weep, to feel sorrow over our sin. We don't even like to call it sin. How can we mourn over something that we've renamed as a minor flaw, or a little mistake? To be overwhelmed by, by how we've indulged ourselves in the things of the world and to run around in spiritual adultery. To weep over the fact that, that we've tried to satisfy ourselves with the things of this world instead of the things of God. Ask yourself, when was the last time you, you grieved over your sin? That you even recognized your sin and you grieved over it. You cried out over your failure before God. I remember one time I, I, I had sinned and I, 
had this picture in my mind, and, and it brought such pain to me that, that I was spitting on the face of the one who was crucified for me as I sinned, and I began to weep and mourn over that sin. And, and God, you know what he didn't do? He didn't continue to pound on the judgment. He came to me and he said, but, but I, even, even if you spit it on me, I, I died for you. His love was there, that more and more grace came upon me, and it will come upon you as you mourn over your sin. We think sin is no big deal, but James says it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. We have to mourn and weep over our sin. It's serious. Now, some would say, you really live like that? That that sounds kind of depressing. How is that good for you, to be weeping and mourning over your sin? Minor inconsistencies. Where's your self-esteem, man? And here's the beauty of what James says next. Final command we'll look at today. Humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. He will lift you up. When you humble yourself before God, when you grieve and weep and mourn and wail over your sin then you don't have to lift yourself up. You don't have to lift yourself up. God himself will do it in the power of his spirit, through the love of Christ that he pours out on you, through the grace that he gives you. God will lift you up. God will make you who you were created to be. You don't have to boast about yourself. You don't have to seek the approval of others. You only have to humble yourself before the Lord. Realize that all you have and that all you are comes from your friend, the God of this universe. Humility is is so key to the Christian life. To fall down on your face before him. Humble yourself before the Lord. Weeping over your sin. Going to him. Drawing near to him. Allowing him to draw near to you. Without humility, we're lost to this world. We're lost. We'll remain friends with this world. But with it, we can be friends of God. It's the, it's, the, it's the gate, this humility, this true humility is the gate to friendship with God. So humble yourself before the Lord. And He will lift you up. And how more exalted, what more exalted a place can any of us find than, than friendship with God. God's my friend, my Lord, my Savior, my Master, but, he, but He's my friend. So, If you truly desire God's friendship, if you truly desire intimacy with Him, if you want your passions and your desires and your joys, your heart's desires to be transformed by Him and to be fulfilled by Him, if you want to overcome the sin that's in your life, and that sin comes when you're a friend with the world, then there are choices that you have to make. Roads you have to go down. Battles you have to go through. It's a fight. So we know, you know, I gave that list of six things. Those are not natural to us. Submission is not natural to us uh, to start with. We want to be... The boss, mourning, it's not natural, it's not, it's not fun to mourn, humbling, what, what are you talking about, that's not natural, it's a fight, 
It's a fight. It's a fight to maintain friendship with, with God, to submit to God, to resist the devil. The devil doesn't want you to resist him. And he'll make himself very attractive so that you won't resist him, to draw near to God, to purify yourself, to mourn over your sin, to humble yourself before God. It's the battle. It's the battle that rages. So I'd encourage you this week and beyond to consider whether you're seeking to grow in your friendship with God or with the world. And this is how you know, am I submitting to him? Am I resisting the devil? Am I drawing near to him? Am I purifying myself? Am I mourning over my sin? Am, am I in a humble position before him? If not, then you're, you're, not, you're not seeking friendship with God. You're seeking friendship with the world. That encourage you. Find that friendship. Seek that friendship with God that he offers. And he'll give you... He'll give you grace in those areas. I'd remind you once more that friendship with the world, we need to get this. We know this. We know this. We've experienced this. We need to get it. We need to remember it in that moment. Friendship with the world gets us nothing. Takes us nowhere. Oh, it might be pleasurable for a season, but it ends up nowhere. But friendship with God leads us to all things. All things in Christ Jesus. Leads us to victory over sin. It leads us to true and and lasting joy in this life. That's what God offers His friends. So we have to choose. Let me pray for us as we we go from this place and in this week as we seek to to choose to be a, a friend with God and not friends with the world. Father God, I, I pray for myself and I pray for my, my brothers and sisters here. Lord, it's our desire. I pray that it be our desire to seek first your kingdom. And to seek you as our true friend. To submit to you and to resist the devil. To mourn over our sin. To humble ourselves before you, to purify ourselves, to draw near to you, Father, and thank you that you'll draw near to us. Lord, I pray that for each person here, as we, as we, as we worship you and as we go throughout our week this week, Father, that we would be reminded that you desire to be our friend and we would open our hearts to that in Christ's name.